is Mickey Wright, and I want to welcome you to Beauty Superstars Talk, your backstage pass to experts in beauty. I believe success leaves clues, and if you want to be the best, you have to hang out with the best. This podcast allows you to do just that. I've spent my career as an award-winning hairstylist, independent educator, and salon coach who's helped tens of thousands to get more clients and make more money. I was also one of the first African-American owners of a full-service salon and day spa in the country. In short, I love beauty, business, and peeking backstage. If that sounds like you, I invite you to join me each week as I bring you the best and brightest Black artists and entrepreneurs in the beauty industry to share their stories, leave you with tips, tricks, and insights to take your business to the next level, and to take you backstage in their part of the industry. So if you're ready, let's go. Hello, hello. Hi. Hi there. It's like, um, I'm Mickey Wright. I'm with Beauty Superstars Talk and I'm super excited to be here. We have a fabulous guest today. And um, also, this is my 10th episode for Beauty Superstars Talk. So I'm really excited about that. So yeah, you had some really great people. I've been seeing your guest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I've been so excited about everyone, and I'm super excited that you're here today. Like, thank um, you for having me. Thank you. Yes, yes, it's like, and I've got a, a little bit of a new office behind me, so it's like I'm excited about that. So Very we cool. are um, here um, with Beauty Superstars Talk, um, still defining, I guess, exactly what it is, but it was born out of. Um, Uh, Unfortunately, the murder of George Floyd, you know, erupted a whole lot of the racism and conversations around race, and that flowed into the beauty industry. And um, at the time, it's like I um, had the privilege and honor to be on a couple of calls that were um, basically Black artists who were, you know, just kind of trying to see where do we go from here. And uh, one in particular is where I met Michelle. Um, it's like mm-hmm. I've known about her, been like a little fan cheering her on in the, uh, <laughs> in the Likewise, likewise. <laughs> well, thank you. And um, on that call, it's like she shared so, um, what's the word these days? Transparently uh, <laughs> about mm-hmm. a lot of her experiences um, with, um, you know, I'm going to introduce her and tell you all of her accolades and everything. But uh, even with all of that being true for her, there was still some challenging and um, I heard even painful times um, in that conversation. And it was that conversation of meeting and seeing so many powerful black artists that I was really, I left inspired and feeling like these stories have to be out in the world. And so that is what Beauty Superstars Talk is all about. And um, I'm the founder of Beauty Superstars Online Academy. So it's like with uh, my salon business coaching and all of that, it all ties together to make the beauty industry a stronger, more fabulous um, industry. More, more inclusive. More inclusive and more diverse. Yeah. So, And we want to mm-hmm. go a little bit into those words because sometimes they're used and they don't have much meaning behind them. So um, I want to tell you a little bit about Michelle. It's like she is... Um, a five-time Naha winner, which is just, you know, mind-blowing, like, you know, just, you know, <laughs> um, and we'll tell you a little bit more about what Naha is and, you know, um, her inspiration and creativity that comes behind it, as well as we're going to talk about some of these words, you know, the inclusiveness and the um, diversity that's 
present and still needed in the industry or lack thereof. So I want to share with you a little bit of her bio because I, I think it's always nice just to hear, you know, it's like all of the things that you've accomplished and for all of us to get to know you a little bit better. So um, Michelle O'Connor is like creativity has been the cornerstone of Michelle O'Connor's life for as long as she can remember. As a hairstylist in a top floor Fort Lauderdale salon on the set of music videos, commercials, catalogs, and editorial shoots, and as a salon owner, as an educator, and a role as creative director for the salon by InStyle at JCPenney, Michelle has always trusted her creative instincts and they have never let her down. Um, she began her career in the performing arts at the age of five. She began studying dance and continued her studies through high school and college, where she attended a performing arts university in Philadelphia. She worked with top dance companies, including Alvin Ailey and the Dance Theater of Harlem, before deciding to focus on another creative pursuit, the art of hair. She launched her career in Fort Lauderdale in 2000, working for the Paul Triana Salon, one of the most prestigious salons in the area, and she took advantage of the diverse clientele to hone her skills in all aspects of cutting, coloring, styling, equipping her to easily straddle the worlds of textured and non-textured hair. After a few years, she signed with an artist agency in Miami and soon was one of the area's most in-demand freelance hairstylist, working for clients like Victoria's Secret, J. Crew, and New York Fashion Week. And we have no doubt or question why. It's like we'll see her work um, as we go along here. But um, goes on to say her dancers training instilled several traits in her, including a drive for achievement and expectation of excellence in herself and others and a boundless curiosity to explore new creative realms. So after succeeding in the freelance arena, she set her sights on manufacturer education and she was soon invited to join the Mazzani education team. At the same time, she decided to flex her entrepreneurial muscles and opened a small boutique salon um, and this goes on for quite a little while, but I think you get the gist of this fabulous yeah. lady that's right before me. Um, but it goes on to say that she continues to break barriers by leading matrix education as a global artistic director. She continues to offer her business technical and artistic expertise to the brand as diversity and inclusion for all hairdressers remains her most passionate platform. So we are honored to have you here today. So thank you so much. I am honored to be here. Thank you. Thank yeah, you for so, having me. Yeah, do you want to start with that conversation that was on that call? Um, it was, you know, it's kind of the elephant in the room. Uh, <laughs> we can dive in sure, there. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, like you said, it was on the heels of uh, George Floyd and all of the protest, and it trickled over into the beauty industry, and it just shined a spotlight on the fact that our industry is still so segregated. And when we are looking at the professional beauty world where we're speaking to brands in particular, I think it just started occurring to black artists that we're really not represented in a, a fair way or at all. And um, just even taking a, a look deeper at who the products are marketed to or, you know, who, who, who that customer or that consumer is that they're speaking to. And it, it was, you know, never really a woman of color or a man of color and having a, a certain hair type. It was really just, we existed in this world where the black side of the business sat on one side mm -hmm. and the white side of the business sat on another side. And if you wanted to do anything in the pro beauty world, um, you really had to enter into that white beauty space. 
you, you know, if you, as a black artist, if you wanted to delve into um, music videos or um, the world of um, being an influencer, it was a little different, but if you wanted to enter into the manufacturer pro beauty world, you were pretty much a minority if you were a black person in that space. Um, you can count on one hand how many um, black artists you would see working for the major companies like the Paul Mitchells, the Redkins, the, the Matrixes, like, and you really had to sort of uh, carve out your own path and figure it out because there was no blueprint for you. So you saw these things that um, you wanted to be doing, you wanted to be speaking to everyone. Perhaps you loved um, color services, you, you are a colorist. And so you went with a manufacturer that makes color and you wanted to be on those stages speaking to all artists, but also in particular artists that look like you. and you might not have had the platform to do that because we just weren't being recognized as being equipped in certain areas of the business. So um, that led to, like you discussed earlier, a town hall. It was a town hall with a series of um, Black influential artists from various walks of the industry, from um, beauty school uh, to pro beauty world to makeup artists. And these are... I mean, I, I was honored to be on this call because just the names that were on this call, these are the movers and the shakers and like people that are in television and film, um, people that are doing editorial work. It was the full gamut of talent, like amazing talent. And that call was really about sort of um, saying hi to each other. You know, we coexist in these various spaces and maybe some of us knew others, but there were a lot of us that didn't know each other. And it was really nice to have that sort of camaraderie and to unload and say, hey, I work in the pro beauty world space and this is what I have encountered. And this is how it has been hard for me. And these are the obstacles that I have faced. And to have someone else chime in and say, oh my gosh, that's been my experience also. Like to see someone that understands the journey and all that you've been through, I can't articulate um, how comforting that is because then you realize in these spaces where you've often felt completely alone, like no one could understand you, there was no one that you could speak to to really say, hey, this is my unique experience, to find that other individual or a few other individuals that share in that was, um, if, if that's all that came out of that call, um, it was, worth it. It was well worth it to just sort of know all those faces, say hi to all those people, hi to all those faces and hear all those stories. So we started talking about um, my specific scenario, which is um, working for a manufacturer and it, um, you know, catering and, and, and sort of um, speaking to a demographic that's not really having textured hair, Afro textured hair, black women, black men, you know, you you just really didn't see that, but you also knew that the company makes color and color is something that has really sort of um, boomed. In, in the wake of relaxer sales going down, you have more black women, I'm gonna speak to black women, um, that are really interested in hair color services. And so for a company that was making hair color, there isn't a specific hair color that's made for black hair versus white hair. Um, you really 
you had consumers that were getting this particular product on their hair, their stylists were using these products on their hair, but yet this consumer wasn't being spoken to. This stylist wasn't being spoken to. Hey, how do we supply your needs? How do we speak to you? How do we address the unique concerns of textured hair as it pertains to putting lightener on it? And so it was it was a big miss. And um, here I was sort of sharing this story and also having like you mentioned these accolades that um, in this world, in that beauty space world, that pro beauty world, those accolades carry a pretty heavy weight, like for the people that have walked before me and have acquired those type of awards, they've always been seen as um, elite artists, well-respected. And here I was one of the very few black faces. The only other one before me that I can think of was Shirley Gordon. Um, and I looked at her like, oh my gosh, she was the only person that I had to look toward. Like who other, what other black person acquired this? Because it really seemed like this very elite club that no black people were a part of. And so I had the opportunity to enter. And of course it wasn't out the gate. It was just sort of my attempt at creating something that I thought was on that caliber. It surely wasn't. It was just sort of, falling down this rabbit hole of creativity. And I think for about two years, I kept at it and nothing happened. And then the third time out, it sort of just clicked for me. I got the concept and I understood the concept of creating a collection and something that um, is not imitated or duplicated based on what you've seen before, but something that you actually create or remix in a way that it becomes truly your art. And that leads me into what NAHA is. So NAHA, it's an acronym. It stands for the North American Hairdressing Awards. And it's basically like the Oscars of hair. If you think about many of the award shows as it pertains to television and uh, motion picture, you know, you have the Oscars, you have the Emmys, you have various categories. But when you think of like the Oscars, you think of like, very prestigious award for like this, this role that an actor or an actress plays. And it's the most elevated form of art that you could see portrayed on a motion picture. And so Naha is to that degree in terms of it is art in its highest form as it pertains to hair. It is probably if I had to give the analogy as it pertains to fashion, it would be couture versus ready to wear. So it is something that you see and it's not salon friendly. It's not something that you would put on clients, but it's aspirational. It's what you look at and you say, oh my God, like it takes your breath away when you just scan the gamut of images that have come out of like these artists, you, you see their souls like in these beautiful images. And um, I was drawn to that. I was just drawn to that. Yeah, I mean, you shared some amazing things. You shared a lot. And so it's like, I wanna backtrack on a couple things and and just kind of dive in because, um, wow. Um, so with Naha, let's just start there and we'll kind of wiggle our way sure. around. Um, sure. So North American Hairdressing Awards. And um, like you said, it's like the Oscars. And like you say, that elevated 
level of artistic expression, I think. And mm -hmm. um, tell us like, what was it that made you want to enter in the first place? Um, I think it is, and you sort of um, alluded to this or spoke to this when you read the bio a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. My my background, and I I speak about this with a, 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 girl, a girlfriend of mine who she also was a dancer and she's now gone on to another career, but there is such a discipline and um, a sort of uh, this, this ability to um, really try to be aspirationally reaching for perfection, something that is flawless, something that is performance ready. It's it's the blood, the sweat, the tears, the doing things over and over again until it's flawless. And it's a mentality that you carry with you. Um, some of the institutions that I had the privilege of being a part of, stepping in the, 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 the doors of places like the Alvinelli American Dance Theater and the Dance Theater of Harlem and knowing the standards that were set in place because these are historical dance companies that are no, not only historical black dance companies, but historical period. And to know the sort of standards that um, you had to adhere to, to be a part of this and the expectations of you, how you carried yourself, how you professionalized your yourself, how you showed up on time, how you practiced hard, how like there were certain things that were instilled by being a part of these prestigious black institutions that I always knew that as a woman of color walking into any environment, that the bar was always going to be a little bit higher for me, that I I, I would always carry the weight of a race on my shoulders because everywhere I went, I would be perceived as someone that represents black people. So if I was going to sit in the space of the pro beauty world and be one of very few, I had to be one that like carried myself a certain way and had a certain level of expertise. And so I didn't have the leeway to like, just be mediocre. I had to try to blaze some trails. And um, so that's why I was inspired to be a part of it because I didn't, I realized that it really wasn't about color. Um, it was just about your art. If they never knew who did it and it was really just about putting this artistic expression out there, then that means that anybody was capable of doing it. And there just weren't a lot of us that were entering. And I think sometimes you feel like you need an invitation Sometimes, especially when it's not a black space, you feel like, okay, that's not my lane. And I have never felt like there was something that I couldn't do or somewhere that I couldn't go. I've never felt those barriers. Like, and, and maybe that sort of attitude has served me well sometimes, and maybe it hasn't served me well at other times. But I think there's this sort of like, well, why can't I be in that competition? Did someone tell me that I couldn't? So, you know, what I would love to see is more artists of color also being in this to show the like magnitude of the talent that exists. Cause it isn't just me, it's tremendous that's out there. And when you omit a whole sector of people and a whole sector of talent, are you really, do you really get to realize what the top of the top is? Like, it, it's like, you don't really, you haven't even tapped into that because what's over here that hasn't even been tapped into is insane. 
So I, I think that doing it once was cool and continuing to do it. And it's like, you know, when you are a person of color, and I, I can attest that probably every person of color has always been told this, if when you walk around in this world, this, this country, that you have to be twice as good, three times as good. And so winning it five times was my way of saying it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't just something that I got lucky. Like I was able to create works of art five consecutive times that was recognized as something that was viable and worthy of beating out others. And I'm a woman of color. So that's, that's, that's what I, <laughs> we applaud you. We applaud oh, you. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I, I love um, how you're wanting to have more people of color in, you know, in the arenas that you're in, in, you know, competing at Naha, and I think you mentioned that you had done it two times before you won, and I uh, wanted to ask you about that because I think it's, um, you know, I know some people, and actually I know Shirley Gordon, we used to work together, mm -hmm. and um, so, yeah, we're super proud of all of her accomplishments, and yeah. she was the first, but I believe Fatima Ampi um, is another woman of color who's won several. Yeah, yeah, and and she spoke to having similar experiences to, to mm -hmm. what you are doing. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, it's like there's very few, and I don't know, are there any men of color? Um, I haven't come across any men, but I, I, I honestly can say and agree with you, very, very few. I yeah. know that there was, um, her last name is Church, and she was nominated for color. It was extraordinary. Um, what is, I know, Gina. Gina Church is her name. And she was nominated for an extraordinary, beautiful collection that was in the um, color category. Okay. And so it's it's progressing. It's progressing. So. Yeah, but we have, like you said, the opportunity is open. The doors open every year. You know, they give you the guidelines. There's things with competitions. And, you know, from our conversation coming up, it's like I really, you know, was kind of reflecting. I did a little video um, just on what winning a competition did for my career. And it was like, wow, I never even saw all of the pieces kind of fit together that way. And so tell us, like, what's, you know, happened or not happened as a result of competing, first of all, and winning. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's arguments on so many sides of this because um, in our community, you, you'll have a lot of artists that, that will say, well, why do I need to be in this competition? Like, you know, we can create our own competitions. And that will be the conversation that exists in many different industries. And so I think it really is about having a seat at the table to um, inspire change, you know, like, you know, I'm definitely an advocate for having your own and being able to produce things that are black owned, black run, black celebrated. But I also feel like if there are color companies, for example, that exist currently and you're marketing to people of color, that you also need a person of color sitting at that table that can speak on behalf of that community. So um, what has it done for me? It, it, you know, I didn't know what it was going to do for me. And it's hard to give it sort of like this tangible sort of like, 
I won and then this is what happened to me. I was catapulted into like, you know, like it, it really isn't that. It's more of, you know, what I have to say, people will listen to. And that stemmed from having that credibility. And so if, if I could say the one thing it gave me was instant credibility. And that's across the board. It's like, okay, she is an authority in a particular genre. And so not only did it allow me to speak on that genre, but it allowed me to be an authority in a lot of areas. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it pushes you. In, like personally, what it does is like, it's agonizing. It is extraordinarily agonizing. And I go through a period of like sitting in this quote unquote dungeon where I'm just in a creative mode and I am like tormented trying to figure out how to make something memorable and something that somewhat brings people joy when you look at it because art does bring you it brings some type of emotion to you. So when you look at something that you equate with being artistry or art, it should do something. It should evoke some type of feeling and hopefully it takes your breath away. Hopefully it, it gives you some type of feeling. So what it does for me when I see it's done and it's completed, one, it's a catalog. Like it lives on when Michelle no longer lives. It is a catalog. It is my legacy. It is what I leave behind. This is what I produced. This is what I created. This is immortalized. This will always be here to pass down through the generations and people coming up in the industry. They will always see this art. Like it is etched in the books of artistry. So so that's one thing. And then the other aspect is like the, the push for me, how it pushes me as an artist. And sometimes um, it is about connecting those dots we talked i talked with you briefly about connecting the dots you know when you think of something that is um very very artistic and and out there um there is an element of how that inspires other things so it may not necessarily be that exact image and all of the the looks and the things that went into creating that but it's going to inspire maybe a salon trend that is a very downscaled version of sort of like the color combinations or um, perhaps bringing back netting in the hair. You know, there's one collection I did where it was like these bold nets in the hair. That's not as far-fetched as you think it is when you think about hair in like the 1940s and how all of that was netted. It was just invisible. And so there is the past meeting the present, meeting the future. And um, it all inspires something. So I think um, it's necessary. Uh, When you look at things like we talked about uh, pop culture, hip hop, music, and things that were once considered very outlandish, very crazy, out there, like nobody nobody would ever wear that. I looked at um, Cardi B in her latest song and she has this ponytail that is wrapped in circles and it's covered in hair and it's a long chain linked ponytail with circular wrapped hair intertwining into links that is the type of sort of um naha-esque techniques that we would use to create something that is an image and here she is a rapper in a video wearing this as mainstream 
we can also look at Beyonce in um, her latest compilation of um, Black is King and all of the traditional and tribal hairstyles that were very Afrocentric. And the one thing that I think of when I think of hair and it like sort of like the, the loud, the proud, the out there, not being afraid to have it be a statement is that really, that really belongs to black women. And, you know, I think when I look at a lot of those styles that are like adorned in beads and they're sky high and it's like, it's, it's not soft and quiet. It's, it's bold. And as is our hair, it's bold, right. it's big, it takes up space, it takes up the room. And that is part of what I feel like is our identity. And so to see that something that was once considered like so out there, so extreme, and now it like living in a mainstream capacity is um, really exciting. And um, I, you know, I think the next step down from there is seeing someone in that ponytail on the subway in New York, the Cardi right. B ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's on the way. <laughs> Probably, you know. Artistic expression is artistic expression, and mm -hmm. um, I, I love it. I can appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely so much to the art, um, and I love, you know, like you were talking about Black is King and, and just the whole glam squad, you know, from the, the clothing stylist to the makeup artistry to the hair to the, you know, the whole production of it. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's mind-blowing. and, and mind -blowing. I Mind-blowing. Yeah, I wanted to speak to you because it's like you can't create what you created and win the competition without a team. And so how did you come together with that? I mean, it was captured perfectly, with, you know, with the photography, with the lighting. You've got the great model yeah. or models <laughs> and you've got yeah. makeup, you know, and all of it has to work together like a, a choreographed dance, for lack of a better yeah. term. Um, but how did you put all those pieces together? So um, the experience of landing on a shoot and something that's considered your shoot, um, mm -hmm. one of the things that I had to learn was you run the show and you can have a phenomenal team and you allow them to express themselves um, in their sort of artistic ability and you, and you respect that. And especially a team that you continuously work with, you, you learn to let them do what they do. But one of the things that I learned is there are certain things that you do have to fight for. Like um, there was my last collection that won for this year in um, the styling and finishing category. Um, there was a look of a woman with a really long ponytail and um, the photographer, because I've worked with him over the course of years, he wasn't that impressed with, with the final, um, he wasn't that impressed with the, the aesthetic. And I knew that there was something about it that could be amazing. And it was the difference between that model sort of standing still and taking one of those Makita, like the leaf blower machines mm -hmm. and blowing the tips of her ponytail up. So that's sort of like a editorial photography, sort of like behind the scenes trick. Sometimes when you just put a little bit of movement in hair, it puts a breath into it and it um it gives it emotion so after um we did that then he could see what i was seeing 
So we kind of had a mini sort of battle where I was like, nope, I like it. I like it. Nope. He was like, ah, I'm not that impressed. I was like, no, I like it. So we had a little tug of war and years prior, I would have just taken what he said and been like, oh, well, he knows he's the photographer, but it's your dream. It's your vision. You have to see it. You have to hold on to it. And you have to know that sometimes, um, you have to really work at getting everyone to understand what's in your head because sometimes they don't know where you're going. And um, a photographer is going to know posing, lighting, um, mood, but in terms of hair and like what you want that hair to be doing and, and the angle, what you need to be shown and what features you need to be seen, that's gonna fall on you as the artist. So maybe that angle is three quarters as opposed to dead on. Maybe it's a complete profile. So it's really about understanding like um, what the camera likes, what it picks up. And if you like what you see after you've gone through the gamut of um, taking a bunch of shots. So the team, amazing. I use the same team um, uh, pretty much consistently. And um, I did try a new wardrobe stylist this uh, past year. And it's, it's a vetting, you know, there's like an interview, like an interview in person and sort of looking through swipes and making sure that you like make a, it's like speed dating, you know, it's almost <laughs> like you, you have to make this connection because they have to hold your vision as dear as you hold it. And so um, you have to be flexible. You have to know that um, when you get on set, something might not work. So maybe it's taking an accessory off or maybe it's adding something on. Maybe it's um, the hair is not working. It's just doing something crazy and you having to um, sort of sit, shift or switch gears and be okay with um, being fluid. Maybe the model is not in a good mood. So there's a lot of things that can happen. You said so many things again, um, <laughs> but I did hear like artistic direction. Like you have to become kind of that artistic director of your vision to help bring it to life. And any tips for someone who's kind of just starting out, doesn't have a team, you know, with selecting, I know you said the vetting process of kind of, you know, making sure they're on the same page with your your vision. Yeah, um, you, you definitely want to make sure that it's a photographer that deals in beauty, that works in beauty, because they're, it's a specialty, you know, like you have to be able to light hair correctly and you have to kind of understand what are the angles. It's very different from capturing clothing or capturing, um, you know, a still object. Like you have to get that model to um, also emote, like her body has to do something and um, it, it, it has to be very elevated. And so um, your photographer is gonna be very important. I think my suggestion would be for someone to, like if you're just starting out and you're trying to get your feet wet and get into having sort of like professional photography of your work, um, scout the, hair, the um, photography schools. Um, there's a lot of students that, you know, you can sort of help also um, direct as to what it is you want to see in your look. And so I think 
doing it a lot, doing it often, um, your eye starts to develop and get stronger and you start to sort of just see things right away. Um, you start to uh, be able to identify like a silhouette of something, um, body positioning, uh, you know, just like when people got very well versed with how to pose their clients on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Every We saw them telling clients to hold the hands and lift the hair in the back. It's obviously that's not the type of posing that you would have a model do um, for something like an artistic competition. Uh, it's really, they would need to almost be, um, that's where it's very editorial. That's where they would be like models that know how to like maybe um, make their uh, chest concave or like, you know, position their arms in a particular way that doesn't detract from um, the hair. The hair really, despite what the model has on her face or what clothing or wardrobe, you have to be able to identify that when you look at that image, your eye, if it does not go to the hair first, and you have to ask yourself this, it's being, it's being cognizant and aware of what you look at when you look at an image. If your eye does not go to the hair first, then that's not the shot mm -hmm. because it, it, it cannot compete with makeup and it cannot compete with wardrobe. So if you have this over the top, beautiful wardrobe aesthetic and the hair is maybe the second thing you look at, that's not your, that's not a, that's not a winning shot. That's not, um, hair is no longer the star in that photo. So that's one tip that I can give you guys in terms of what do you look for? How do you develop this sort of like artistic eye? You need to be able to be drawn to the hair the minute you look at that photograph. Hmm. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. um, I used to tell stylists um, like to hone their eye a little bit better is to even look at, you know, magazine pictures, things that are online and where you kind of thumb through and say, oh, I don't really like that. I don't really like that to stop and really start to see what is it that you don't like about it. Because sometimes it's the lighting, sometimes it's the the color of the person and the skin you don't like together. Sometimes it's the, you know, the expression of the model, like you say, the way right. that they're posing or what right. have you. There's all these different little pieces that are making that big hole. And if you can start to get your eye trained to see it, you'll know when you see the opposite. You know, it's like, oh, wow, okay, that works. Not only because I like it, but because, you know, this piece and that piece are all coming together for synergy what you said is is so spot on it's so accurate um and little do you realize that when you are sort of developing that eye developing those muscles you're also um you're also finding your inspiration so mm -hmm. when someone says like how do you find inspiration like where do you start how do you find something that like sparks like a, an idea or a thought it comes from looking magazines landscape cars, architecture, um, planets, flowers. It comes from looking at anything that you find artistically expressive. And it, are you a person that likes lines and linear sort of structures? Um, do you, so maybe that would, maybe you're a colorist and perhaps that's gonna live, or perhaps you're a cutter. So that's gonna live in the world of cutting where you could um, emulate structures and geometry and there is a category for that perhaps you live in a space where you're drawn to um flowers and or or landscapes or like 
sunrises and you just love to look at like how colors fuse. So perhaps that is gonna an indicator of the fact that you um, are drawn to color combinations and you're gonna enter into the color category. And um, when you are looking at the things that you're naturally drawn to, just like you said, you have to ask yourself, why? Why am I drawn to this? Why do I like this? What do I like about it? Like start dissecting mm -hmm. why you are drawn to things and why you are not. Because not only is that fruitful for you as an artist, that's also like something that's so um, important for you as a person. Like you are also learning about you. Like what are the things that you, like, I know what I like. I know I love fashion. I know I love um, things that are um, from like very retro things are from like the twenties, the forties. I love taking those elements and making them um, modern. So mm -hmm. perhaps it's like I mentioned earlier where I took, you know, lime green netting and mm -hmm. I put it over hair and made a futuristic shape to it. So it's taking the old and marrying it to the new and creating something that could also be futuristic, something that could live beyond the now. So it's, it's, it's knowing who you are as an artist, you know, knowing who, what, what things, what design elements um, move you, you know, mm -hmm. do you, do you like, you know, looking at artistry on faces? Do you, um, you know, do you love to, uh, look at cars do you love to there's always some type of design in everything around us we have to just be um aware it's being it's an awakening and it's awareness that's what artistry really does for you it it opens you it opens your awareness and it challenges you to um ask yourself questions about you know everything why do i like you know um vanilla ice cream why do i you know like it challenges you to dig deeper within yourself right right and i like some of the things that you're saying as far as like the um like the space and the volume that our hair takes up and the um kind of coming into your own in terms of being that artistic director not only the hairstylist or the designer of the the vision but really taking charge of this is my shoot and you know, we need to capture, you know, these things in different ways while allowing the creative expression of the other um, artists that are there, you know, as part of your team. But I think, um, like I just did a, a, went to a retreat over the weekend on, on women and, you know, our owning our power and our owning our space and taking up more space in the world. And, you know, I just want to get your perspective on, you know, your evolution through that, because, you know, it's like, I feel like there's a sense of your dance that gave you confidence. There's a sense of, you know, these other elements that gave you confidence, but yet you said, you know, in the beginning you were kind of like, oh, well, you know, we'll just go with the photographer's thought versus you making that leap to kind of step up and say, no, 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 this is, you know, this is yeah. what I want. Yes. Um, I, I think, um, if I had to sort of um, define sort of my personality, I would say by nature, I'm more of an introverted person. And so having a background of being a dancer, that was sort of how I expressed myself. It was through mm -hmm. movement. So 
I didn't really talk a whole lot. So my expressiveness would come with how I felt music and how I was able to move my body and create art with that and create something that um, spoke to people and moved people with how I moved my body. So it was really a transfer. Um, when I got into um, hair, just like sort of anybody else starting out, you you start out like, you know, the baby calf that doesn't walk, you know, the right. legs are wobbly and, um, you know, you don't have your footing. And so that confidence comes from little by little starting to do things well. And um, if you ask, how, you know, when I popped my collar, so to speak, and um, was able to say, I like this, I, I respect your opinion, but I actually like this. So can mm -hmm. we keep shooting? Um, it, it came after I had some wins under my belt. So mm -hmm. that's the honest truth, you know, after sort of that, um, it, it, not that that gave me all of my confidence, but to know that um, I was able to uh, create something that was recognized as beautifully artistic, it, it made me um, question myself less. It made me sort mm -hmm. of stand on sort of uh, my beliefs and my opinion. It made me stand on my opinion. So there are lots of things that um, give you confidence as you walk through your journey of life. You know, it starts out with your parents, you know, it, 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 and it carries on to other mediums. So I think every time you have another notch of doing something well or having some sort of excelling, it, it's another way of saying, well, you know what? Like, I, I, I just did something. So next time I'm going to be um, a little louder. Next time I'm going. And so it just continues to, to build. And with that being said, it doesn't mean that there are never any moments where you are in doubt. It doesn't mean that there aren't ever any moments where you don't need sort of maybe a second eye or a reinforcement mm -hmm. or sort of like a, um, a reassuring that, you know, you got this because that's what a community, that's what, that's what other people do for you. But um, there is sort of an inner confidence that continues to build the more you realize that you are making strides and you are accomplishing some things. And um, it, it's important to have that confidence when you are sitting at a table or when you don't necessarily agree with someone or when you are trying to um, inspire change and it takes having sort of uncomfortable or difficult conversations or saying things that might make some people, you know, squirm because it's just now more than ever, we're talking about the things that we would have never talked about, you mm -hmm. know, a year ago. So it's groundbreaking to be able to be the first ones sitting and calling out all the pink elephants in the room, if you mm -hmm. will. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, you and I were both discussing um, how, you know, we've had these experiences as Black women in the industry. And, um, you know, I know for myself, it's a lot of times just keep it moving, you know, onto the next thing or whatever that happened. But I realized on that, that call that we talked about um, that it was very rare that I would share with another person what my experience had been or even hear them share with me what their experience had been. And so that call, like you say, was very, very, um, it was enlightening. 
it was mm -hmm. healing, um, mm -hmm. I think, in a lot of ways to know that it's like, oh, wow, other people are experiencing this similar type of thing. And some people, you know, to certain degrees, there were degrees, I guess you could say, of um, people's experiences. But then to also see how much they were able to excel despite, you know, was the part that really inspired me. That it's like we have not let any of those things hinder us or stop mm -hmm. us from, you know, like winning competitions, from mm -hmm. excelling in film and television, from, you know, being great colorists, being great mm -hmm you know, whatever it is that we're doing. And so I think there's definitely such a, a resilience. And I I wanted, wanted to see like what, because you, you know, are in a space where you kind of have a seat at the table, if you will, um, what your thoughts are for just making that, um, making change within that arena, you know, what that looks like to you or, or maybe in an ideal world would look like for you. I think if I have to think sort of like top line, like the thing that just pops into my head when you say that, and it's across all platforms, I need to see more people that look like me sitting at the table too. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, I don't want to be the only one because mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's not a great feeling when um, you're having to download all of the information so that someone can understand your perspective. It's mm -hmm. nice sometimes when someone else knows exactly where you're coming from or they can, um, they speak your language, so to speak. Um, so that's what it, that's the first thing that comes to mind is like, like, come on, like we need a ton, tons of seats at these tables. And it's not just um, in, a certain level, it's all levels. So that mm -hmm. um, when when marketing goes out, that there's someone that can look at certain imagery and recognize that as beautiful. Because mm -hmm. um, for so long, not only in hair, in beauty period, we have been sort of conditioned to um, gravitate towards a European aesthetic. So we see that in everything around us. We see that in all of the imagery in magazines and like, you know, in everything. And then you have things that are considered, um, you know, not Eurocentric that perhaps are more Afrocentric, but when placed on someone that is European or Caucasian, that it, it got more, um, reverence and got more sort of um, accolades and appreciation. Mm -hmm. So um, we've had to also contend with that. So it's it's about having eyes everywhere so that when those decisions are being made to um, create an image that's going to inspire a, a five-year-old little black girl, that it's not teaching her more self-hate, that mm -hmm. she is celebrating her afro textured hair that she is seeing that there's a big billboard with a woman that looks like her on there mm -hmm. and it isn't something to hide or make yourself small about so mm -hmm. those images are going to come from someone that actually can recognize the beauty in those things mm -hmm. and the changes and the shifts that have to occur based on conversations that are ha being had about being deliberate and all of these um, diversity, inclusion, allyship, all of that ties in with um, making sure that everyone at that table is not one demographic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, that's that's really 
my platform and what I would like to see is that it's not, it isn't just a handful of, of women of color or men of color there's that are um, sitting in, in roles where, where they can inspire um, a broadening. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's really um, redirecting a narrative. It's a, it's a, it's a mammoth task. It is, it is something that has for the past 400 years and it's not just black women and black men it's pretty much every every um every nation or every race of people other than caucasian like you've had to sort of adhere to european standards blonde hair blue eyes or you know whiter skin and this has been embedded in the culture of america and so until we can sort of start shifting that and seeing more and more i i I went to eat with my um my little my little niece um on Sunday and I saw um spread out outside you know the restaurants you can eat outside um there were probably um about 3 or 4 tables of black women and every one of those tables had um black women that were wearing um their hair um in various styles from natural to braids to bantu knots and it was glorious it was <laughs> so beautiful to see the spectrum and for them to feel sort of comfortable in that skin and feel unapologetic about wearing their hair in all of those different capacities. Mm -hmm. It was so to have that sort of narrative be shifting at a time like now where you don't have to sort of, and I like to use the, the expression, make yourself small. I, I don't I, I don't want us to make ourselves small. I, I want us to make ourselves big and take up the space. And if our hair takes up the space, it, it takes up the space. And um, to not apologize for that, because we've apologized for so much for so long. We've apologized for our hair. We've apologized. I, I can tell you from personal experience, I was somewhere where I had to um, do something on a set and I had to get my hair blown out and I went into um, a salon and it was, it was, I won't even say the name, but it was, um, a high, it was a high end chain salon and I just needed like a blowout. And um, the girl, the hairstylist, um, she was white and she saw me and my hair coming. She probably saw my hair before she saw me. <laughs> and, um, she was like, okay, um, you want to blow out? And she um, expressed being tired. And she expressed like the magnitude of work that it was taking her to, um, to smooth my hair out. Um, and I had to like give her directions and say, this is what you do next. And that is not an isolated experience for a woman of color, you know? And I would like for that woman of color to be able to walk into any salon she chooses and for her to feel like the person that is calling their profession of being a hairdresser, that they're equipped and they're educated and that they can handle whatever walks in that door. And I, I feel like it's unacceptable that you, you know, you say, I'm sorry, I, I just, I really, it's just unacceptable. So I am in that fight as well to, um, I know Diane DaCosta just signed a petition. She um, created a petition to make sure that um, 
beauty schools will start to look at integrating um, texture hair education to think in 2020. Um, that's something that has to go on a petition and sort of get signed into law because you have too many people that because it's not in your wheelhouse or because maybe you think that you don't need to know that, um, they, they don't. And as a woman of color stepping into this industry, I had to learn it all. Right. Okay. I, I, I didn't get to just say, you know what, I'm not going to do straight hair or, uh, you know, um, non-textured hair. I'm not really going to work in that genre. So I'll just, I'll just stick over here. And I, and I'm not saying that people can't have specialties and can't have a focus, but you need to have a working knowledge of it all. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, that's wonderful to hear that there's some some movement going on toward legislation because I I thought it was at the school level, but they're like, no, it starts with, you know, the state and state boards are the ones dictating what the school mm -hmm. curriculum start to look like and, mm -hmm. you know, the books reflect and all of that. So it's like we definitely need more across the board. Um, education so that it is like you have a hairstyling license that says you can style you know or have learned how to style any type of texture at least to a certain degree right um, and what you were talking about with um with kind of the seat at the table and wanting to see more people of color at the table it's like i think um it's definitely important um for the things, the reasons that you were talking about but also kind of the reverse which we've seen more in fashion i think than hair but it's like these big faux pas of these um, very offensive lines of uh, clothing and that type of thing that that get out mm -hmm. into the world in terms right. of marketing space yes correct. one person was in a back room and said oh i think this is the great thing now people are at a table and sitting around and saying oh right. yeah we think we should go with this you know yes you look or correct. whatever it might be correct yes because you realize like even though uh, you know, you're, you're walking around and you're a, a fully grown adult, you realize how much people don't just have like a, a working knowledge of history. And so um, that's why they say, you know, if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it, right? So there's mm -hmm. a reason why they say that, but it, it, there's never been a time more important to really get a grasp on, on history and what has happened um, prior to us being here on earth. You know, um, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, we, we have to sort of understand the, the legacy of things and not be ignorant. And it, the ownership of that is is on all of us, you know, um, mm -hmm. to make sure that we're studied outside of what's handed to us. Right, right. Yeah, because there's a lot lacking in what's handed to us, but that's probably a whole nother show. So <laughs> that's a whole other show. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it's like I think there's, um, you know, much power in, in what you're saying as far as, you know, the education, the, the having the seats at the table. And I think that, you know, my personal opinion is that we need to have more voices at the table that one person can't even speak for the entirety oh. of the black race because it's like we're so diverse and we're not monolithic. Yep. Exactly. So, you know, it's like, I think the more people can, you know, see themselves in different positions. And I think you spoke really eloquently to why we need a seat at the table. You know, it's like, it's not, a, it's, to me, it's not an either or, it's an and. It's like, we need to have our Black businesses. We are having our Black businesses and we're doing well with them. But we also need to be influencing what we're seeing on a, 
on a daily basis because we're bombarded with it. And that becomes our perception of beauty, whether exactly. we're, black or we're white or any other. And so what is going out in that representation is so key. You know, I shared about my experience growing up and seeing Beverly Johnson on the covers of, you know, 17 and glamour and then in mm -hmm. 74 on Vogue. And it was just like, mm -hmm. I, I still have this big scrapbook. I'm going to do a big thing on why representation yeah. matters soon, but it's, it's I mean, it was, that's a whole other episode too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to run out of topics anytime soon. Or Oh like, my God, Mickey, you know, when I, when I think about exactly what you're saying and how, um, what you said about being bombarded with those images, I always mm -hmm. think of little girls. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. you asked earlier, you know, where do you get your confidence from? Your confidence comes from your self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And if your self-esteem in regards to how you show up in the world is challenged and you are made to feel like you shouldn't take up space, right? that ties into how you will address the world when you are a woman. Because mm -hmm. if you grow up with your shoulders hunched and sort of like this aesthetic or this belief in this aesthetic that you aren't beautiful, you aren't worthy, because we know as, as women, we tie our beauty into our confidence. You know, right. it's just call it superficial, call it what you want. If we don't feel beautiful, mm -hmm. our our best foot isn't forward. If we are having a bad day, if our hair looks terrible, if our skin's breaking out, that is not the best version of ourselves. We are not the best mothers in those instances, the best wives, the best, you know, like you're a, a, you are not the better or best version of yourself. And when you're not, how can you be impactful? How can you stand with your shoulders back and command people to look at you? Because we all know in any type of environment, you're not going to look to someone who's cowering down. You're going to look to someone that is standing tall and feels great about themselves. And that starts with what that little person is seeing that we, we are bombarded with mm -hmm. to believe that this is your standard and that standard is unachievable for her. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so deep. It can make you, you know. cry. It, it could totally yeah. make you cry. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's so deep, you know, it's like what we do and have the, the power to do with our talent and our art and our skill and our craft is to really impact um, particularly women on that. It's really a soul level, you know, that our, our, our looks seem, seem superficial. And for some people it can get to be like, Oh, you know, it's sure. like, Oh, I just need another something and I'm going to feel good about myself. No, that's not sure. it. But, that's, that's, that's different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. But it's like for women, it's like, it is part of a connection, a thread or something that's to our soul of who we are and who we feel like we are when we look a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, actually makes me think of this little saying uh, someone said years ago, a little powder and a little paint makes a woman think she is what she ain't. <laughs> I love it. Uh -huh. I, yep. I love it. I love that. Yeah. No. Hey. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's true. And um, I'm going to have to steal that one from you. Okay. It's a, it's a good one. Like I said, you know, um, how I, I talked about popping my collar, you know, right. <laughs> it's, it's that, that cockiness, that bravado that you 
Yeah, yeah, but we need that and we need more of that. We need to see more of that. We need to, um, you know, see it on a daily basis. And it's like, and we need to see it not only as black women or black little girls or little boys or what have you, but we need to see it. Everyone needs to see it. You know, it's like, I think that the definition of beauty was expanded by um, Beverly Johnson being on those covers that everyone saw black women differently and Mm -hmm. embraced Mm -hmm. like, wow, it's like, you don't have to be blonde and blue eyed to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so I think we have to, I feel like we're almost further ahead in in the seventies than we are now, which is like, you know, it's ironic that it could feel that way. Yes, it it is. It's crazy. But um, I think we're, it's, we're on the upward swing again. I feel like Mm -hmm. um, never more than this time right now, in my life that I was coherent and could sort of like understand what's going on around me. Have I felt such a, such a swing or a shift in, um, change and, and what needs to change. So, um, we are literally living history right now. People will be reading about this, um, this period of time. Yeah. I mean, without question for many different reasons, but yes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. such a crazy year. It's like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because we haven't we haven't even mentioned um, the Rona. So yeah, (laughs) (laughs) which has been you know defining and molding and evolving uh, our whole existence, you know, right now. So Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. from from your perspective and you know the things that you're involved in, because you're in the salon part of the time. Is that correct? At such a limited, limited basis, like maybe once or twice a month. Um, mm-hmm. okay. my, my work predominantly had me, um, traveling and shoots and education and, mm-hmm. um, writing it, directing it, teaching it. So it was really, um, me having just a very small handful of clients that I do once or twice, um, a month was my way of staying sort of current and, um, keeping sort of my speed and my skills, being able to test products. Mm-hmm. So that I could actually speak to it authentically and not be someone that did hair 10 years ago and um, doesn't really know um, what's happening today. Got it. Got it. Yeah, this is our outside the outside the chair month, you know, where we're exploring uh, other options. So how has Rona affected you as far as, you know, I know traveling? (laughs) Right. Because literally my travel would consist of at least three times, three times, three weeks out of the month, really. Um, So how it's impacted me is that I have been pushed into the digital world, um, (laughs) whether I have gone kicking and screaming, whether I've liked it and not liked it. um, I've had to um, sort of just adapt and be able to be malleable and change. And um, I have like a a screen in my house and ring lights and um, projectors and like all. So everything has been digital. There's been a lot of writing, a lot of um, sort of uh, trade publications and um, non-trade publications that want to know about products and having hair questions. So there's been a lot of that um, creating content um, Mm. that takes time. So I've had to sort of, um, spend days video, videoing, um, transforming someone and sort of like a transformation, um, video that I would now hand over to, um, 
uh, matrix and mm -hmm. just a lot of things. Um, I'm also part of a um, diversity and inclusion initiative that is um, looking to uh, really bring about education on sort of the history of black hair in this country and mm. how how it started, um, you know, before the transatlantic slave trade and mm -hmm. the loss of culture and the loss of sort of identity and um, to be able to educate groups of people, not only um, within the United States, but globally as mm -hmm. to what happened, happened to us as a race of people and how we got to where we are today with things like the Crown Act having to be, you know, enacted to enable us to wear our hair, you know, in the way it grows out of our heads. Right, right. <clears throat> that sounds like a really um, interesting and powerful um, platform, I guess, that you're putting together a program. And, you know, it's like if I can be of assistance, you know, anything I'd say, you oh, know, yeah. the last, um, what, since the 50s, maybe? Um, yeah. You know, my mom's a hair stylist and okay. I, I got to interview her, which I'll be. Oh, wow. And, um, and just, you know, I grew up around it. And so okay. there's so much that I know and so much that I don't know so much that I'm yeah. paying attention as a kid. I wasn't okay. interested in it. <laughs> I, I, I understand. Well, you and I, I are going to have a lot. <laughs> you, you and I are going to have a further conversation so I can okay. pick your brain some more. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Because I think we have to know more about the history of our industry. You know, the history of hair is one, but the history of like all of these great artists that came before us and people now are like reinventing the wheel. They don't know even anybody's name. They don't know anybody's legacy, their history, well, the, the past that they paved. It's fast and furious. You know, mm -hmm. it's fa um, social media has created a fast and furious environment and like, instant, instant gratification, instant this. And so um, we have to make sure that legacy is still um, preserved and that mm -hmm. we pass down sort of historical context, like you said, about people, uh, artists and um, who have paved the way, who um, opened doors, who created things that had they not, we wouldn't even be where we are today exactly. in terms of um, technology and um, products and sort of, um, it, there, there's a reverence that definitely needs to be um, paid to that. So uh, we, we, we are going to um, have our own town hall, you and I. Okay. That sounds great. That sounds great. And the, um, the other thing that strikes me like with history is that there's no place for us to find it. You know, so even if someone's wanting to know more, you know, where do they go? And that was mm -hmm. you know, part of why I wanted to do this. It's like we're preserving history as we're making it mm -hmm. right here. But um, but there aren't places for, you know, there's not a library you can go and do research. And, you know, right. try to Google is really, you know, haphazard and scattered. So definitely mm -hmm. anything I can do to help. I think that it's um, it's it's actually crazy that that is the reality, because mm -hmm. I think we think of us as living in modern times, right? <laughs> and that pretty much anything that we could put into Google, we're gonna be able to find, but right. we are actually in uncharted territory. Mm -hmm. And there are things that have not happened yet and things that aren't in place, or um, it's about sort of like you right now, you are being a historian and you're sort of, like you said, preserving the legacy of how someone would go out and seek this type of information. Now someone is going to come after this and this will be a resource for mm -hmm. them. 
with a ton of questions being answered. So like, just to know that um, one, we are actually living in historical times where we're creating things for the first time. And um, to be a part of it is, um, it, it, it's, it seems larger than life, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, it's, it's surreal. It's kind of surreal. That yeah. It's much as um, I was looking for, um, you know, even when you talk about uh, textured hair and textured hair education and coloring textured hair, um, it's still a very small pocket mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. It's not everywhere and all over the place. It's still very small pocket. So for those that are trailblazing and doing it, they're like, they're like the um, beginners of the ones that are sort of creating the um the platform to to have that sort of proper training and education and stylists that will be coming up you know 10 years from now will have that at their disposal right right yeah yeah it's like we definitely i mean i think as a race as a people it's like a lot was stripped from us as far as our you know we're the only people on the planet probably that don't know where they came from you know, like specifically what region of Africa were my ancestors? I have no clue, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> most of us mm -hmm. don't. And I think that that's um, more powerful than we understand, you know, more. That it does, it it has long lasting effects. Yes. And I think the extent, the extent of those effects, we don't even recognize what they all are. It's just, right. it's, a, it's a loss of a connection. And, definitely, um, definitely. So I yeah. think, um, on the flip side of that, um, it, it, it's a testimony to, um, the resilience though of people of color Absolutely. and how there <laughs> is this sort of like, you make something out of nothing. So Absolutely. if there is a group of people that make something out of nothing, it is black people. And just, can you imagine if you actually had something, right? So if you're right. making something out of nothing, imagine if you actually had what you needed to, mm -hmm to actually be which is what i successful. think the whole conversation is about you know the whole global conversation not the the two of us but but the yeah. whole conversation is like okay we we are at a point where we do have resources that we didn't have you know 20 30 40 50 years ago but mm -hmm. where do we go from here and how do we start to we still don't have any equality in it but it's like how do we start to utilize what we do have to move forward and to create the foundations that we need to springboard forward because definitely it's like we are um the kings and queens of of survival <laughs> yes and i like what you said about um there is a space for having your own but also having seats mm -hmm. at uh, uh other tables as well because at the end of the day there is still a responsibility that we have to make sure that what we see coming at us is stuff right. that matches with our energy. It matches with what we consider uplifting and um, sort of feeds our soul as opposed to something that is going to be staring us in the face, reminding us that um, we are not considered and mm -hmm. we are not, um, you know, part of the group that that needs to um be addressed and spoken to yeah yeah because we absolutely do and if you look at the dollars that we're spending it's like whew. 
well, those dollars will talk every time. Yeah. And they'll talk every time. So, um, you know, a person can not like a lot of different things, but they're always going to like green. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> kind of universal. <laughs> But I think that we have to demand the respect for the green that we're spending. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that direction. So let's shift gears for a few minutes. It's like we're we're nearing the end of our time together. Yeah. But it's gone so fast. Okay. All right. <laughs> I don't want to let you leave without you sharing your take on a few of your um, creations. And so okay. do my best to pull this up here. Okay. All uh, right. So let's see if I can. Um, Oh, this is not, I may not be able to do this. It's is it like a sharing these, screen type thing? Yeah, it has all these different tips and stuff, and I'm not sure. I might lose us trying to, <laughs> trying to, to show navigate. an image. I don't know if you've, if, you've nav if you've navigated yours or not before, but it's, um, uh, there's I, one that is a really textured, light, airy, ethereal type of feel. And it has like the golds and the yellows and the oranges. And do you know which one I'm talking about? Um, no. Which okay. <laughs> <laughs> what's the, what's the, um, what's the style? Uh, texture. I think it's in a texture category. Okay. And actually, let me see. Oh, okay. So let me see. If, Cause I have, I have my iPhone. Let me see if I can put it. Is it, is it this image? Absolutely. That's it. Yep. I was just about to try to pull it up on my iPhone. <laughs> That's All right. Yeah. Okay. And we can see it well. Okay. Okay, good. All right. So that, um, again, that was just my love of textured hair. And I grew up with um, an aunt who is a seamstress. So I was always around sort of like textiles and fashion and um, fabrics. And um, I because I was around her understood concepts about like pleating and darting and um, lines and structure, a line, like I just kind of picked up all of those elements just from being mm -hmm. around her. So um, with this little piece that you see here, that's actually, it's a pleated, it's hair that was stitched on like crinoline and it was pleated, mm -hmm. like you would pleat a skirt. And wow. so it was actually like a piece that was made that I colored beforehand. Uh -huh. And then um, I attached it on to wefts that were also pre-colored and um oh, and, and okay. textured to create that final sort of um image so okay. it's like you when you break down sort of like what went into something you can like you can see the pleats in that right you can see uh -huh. that's like uh -huh. yeah when someone goes in so that was fun i really enjoyed that that was like i was knee deep in color i it was not a color story it was entered into um the texture category and the way I approach um, creating a collection is I don't decide um, where it's going to go beforehand. I just create something and then I put it where I feel it fits best. That's what works for me. Other people don't do it that way. Like, for example, if you're a hardcore colorist, you draw the line, that's what you do. You're most likely going to enter into one of the color categories. If you you know, a lot of people are very definitive and intentional about where they go. I, I'm the gray area. I do not like to be put in boxes. I do not like to be trapped that I can't get out. Like, I like to know that I created something. I step back, I look at it and I say, all right, that's, 
I know that there's a color story there. I know that I did some color, but what's most impactful about this is the texture. So I'm going to put that in the texture category. Okay. So that's, that's how I do it. Okay. I love hearing that and share with us. Um, now I've forgotten what I wanted you to share. <laughs> um, share with us about um, a little bit about the cost of, you know, entering that type of contest. It's like, I know that's not a small Do we fact. have to talk about money? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, you know, to be, to be very, very candid and, and honest, um, it's, it's not cheap. It's not a cheap undertaking, right. but right. you can do it. You can do it cheaper, um, by, uh, not, hiring like a whole big like wardrobe stylist and you know if you can sort of like figure out if you know someone that does makeup that mm -hmm. can possibly duplicate a, an inspiration that you saw that maybe they can go by that there are ways that you can cut corners um you're gonna spend you're gonna spend a few grand you're mm -hmm. gonna spend a few grand um and it, it could be the sky's the limit because if you're really trying to, a lot of the times I will shoot in um, a studio and mm -hmm. sometimes people might want their background to be different. Like maybe, you know, it is literally the sky's the limit. I mean, there was a year where I, I entertained the thought of um, possibly doing a collection that looked like it lived underwater. Mm -hmm. And so what would that have entailed? You know, like, would it have entailed some type of glass that looked like it had water and the person be behind? So there are sets involved. Um, there was like the picture that I just showed you. Um, the models are like leaning on these white objects. So these were things mm -hmm. that had to be brought in. It's this, it was this huge, white, tremendous ball. And you can see in same um, hairstyle, but she's doing something different on it. So here she's laying okay, on it, okay. and, it now. and it right. So it was really from her hand to sort of like the mood on her face to uh -huh. this picture. I did not select as opposed, and this is a good sort of tip for you guys too. This was the one I selected, and remember when I said, "What is the first thing you look at?" The first thing that I looked at was not necessarily her hair; it was the entire picture. Mm -hmm. It was like, it was the ball. Like, if I'm honest, the first thing I looked at was the ball versus okay. when um, I looked yeah. at this picture, the very first thing my eye went to was her hair. Exactly. So that's an example of when you have a photograph and you are looking for it to be impactful in your genre, that your eye has to go to, to that thing that you want to be the focus. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to almost emphasize what you're saying because I've done some photo and I've done some, um, you know, where you're doing live models and I've judged live models and, you know, I, I don't think I've done photo judging, but the live models, there's, there has to be a focal point of the hair. You know, the hair mm -hmm. should be, you know, where you first focus. There's no such thing as it not being total look because it's like mm -hmm. judges cannot see beyond like, oh, she's got jeans and raggedy gym shoes on the bottom and right. she's got this elegant thing up top. It just doesn't right. connect. Right. <laughs> Your right. body absolutely has to toe whatever the, the mood is. The mood, yeah. Yeah. And whatever, like your your story there was, you know, that image that you selected, it was it what you saw was almost the hair almost floating, you know, mm -hmm. because of the selection of the clothing, the the white and the right. ball, the back 
ground and all of that really played together. It, yep, it played to sort of this ethereal, sort of like soft, mm -hmm. angelic, like you said, floating type of um, feeling. And uh, so that, yeah, it, you know, the best way is like even just sort of listening to a conversation like this. This is the stuff that I had to learn like the hard way. <laughs> this is the stuff that I had to, like, no one was saying, hey, this, not this, this, but not that. Like there really was no one that I had to fall on my face. I had to um, like look at something. And like, when I look at that first collection that I created, I, it's horrid. It's this now my eye to looking back at what that was. I was like, literally it was like, it was a cornucopia. Like, have you mm -hmm. ever seen those cornucopias like at, at Thanksgiving with like mm -hmm. the fruit? So in my mind, and don't laugh at me, you guys out there, in my mind, when I thought of like Naha, I thought of like things that were like objects, like that yeah. were basically hair that was like an object. Like I was seeing things like horns and trees. And so I was like, well, I'm going to make something really big. And so I made this cornucopia type object um, out of hair that was filled with hair flowers and it was big and it was large but it was horrible it was <laughs> ugly it was ugly it had it it had no purpose it had no story um it, it just it it shows you it's good to it's good to remember where you came from though yeah but I, remember. I, what start, stands out to me is that without you having that experience you wouldn't be where you are today that it's all a building block, you know, we, yeah, we, you don't, we, you don't start. Yeah. You don't start yeah. out in anything sort of being, you know, impeccable. So it's just, it's none of us like to um, have that period of being awful at something like not, it's not enjoyable. So um, yeah, you just want to hurry up it's and get to that. But often necessary. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But yes. It's, it's because okay. it's like that's the learning. You know, it's like mm -hmm. you, you learn more by doing. So it's like yeah. you did it and then you get to reflect and it's like, oh, wow. What okay, not to do. Don't learn. do that again. Right? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Well, I guess we're like at our time and it's like, I'm so excited that you've been here with me and been able to share so just wonderfully. It's like we've got so many gems from this conversation. Um, so what's next for Michelle? What's next? I mean, immediate next is um, the, the project that I'm working on. Um, and I'm really excited about that because um, it's I'm excited and passionate. It's a long time coming. Um, I am really wanting people sort of to to understand and, and feel sort of like the magnitude of um, the journey. The journey of Black people, and 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 as it pertains to our hair, and um, just what that means to us, and a lot of people, again, you could call it something that is extraordinarily superficial. You think, oh, it's just hair, but um, it for a lot of people, it is your crown and glory. It is that sacred sort of spiritual thing that has the ability to um, make or break your day, mm -hmm. or you know, so. Um, to be able to um, bring about education and information to um, a lot of people um, and understanding that some people will embrace it and love it and welcome it. And some people will not be interested. I'm, I'm no um, 
I'm, I'm not naive to that fact that when change occurs, everybody is not always on board, but I'm here to speak to those that, that want to get on the train and want to move the conversation forward and move things forward. And those that, you know, kind of want to sit and um, dig their heels in will just be still sitting there while we move, while we move forward. Um, the, the world will look more racially diverse in the next 10, 20, 30 years than it does right now. So um, it's, it, it's necessary. It's absolutely necessary. So that's what's next for me. And I'm trying not to also get COVID. Yeah. And um, uh, looking forward to sort of um, getting back out there um, and continuing to sort of build my brand and um, and expand that, expand education and sort of my own my own growth as Michelle O'Connor Beauty. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, we definitely look forward to all of those things. I'm, I'm excited to to hear and see it evolve and into what's Thank next. You. And, yeah, Thank and, you. Thank and, you so much for having me. This has been um, amazing. And like I mentioned to you before, I've always been a fan of yours as well so a lot of respect to you that i have well thank you well. so much so, mm -hmm. i appreciate it mm -hmm. and i want to let everyone know you know what's coming up next because it's like this journey is continuing this train has left the tracks so like, yep. <laughs> we've yep. just finished this is number 10 our 10th episode so this yeah. is great and um, next week we have Kia Sterling who is oh. an amazing artist and and just uh, it's going to be mind blowing and we're going to powerhouse powerhouse <laughs> love her. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And she's energy personified and she has been very vocal with um, everything that's been going on with our racial divide and trying to you, bring, you're going to, um, you're going to get into some things with Kia. Yeah, yeah we are. It'll we're, be good. Yeah. yeah. We're gonna get into some things and, and her career has been phenomenal. So it's like, we really want her to take us backstage um, for fashion weeks and see, you know, like, what is that mm -hmm. experience like? And, you know, working editorial. And I know you have much experience with about with that, but we didn't get a chance to get into so much of it. But, um, but that's what's next week. That's next Tuesday at 7 p.m. So plan to join us. And I will. Yeah. The um, After that, that's the last part of our outside of the chair uh, month. And then we go into the barbering month. So I'm, I'm super oh, excited about that as well. So we've got a popular nobody. I think uh, John Mosley. Oh, yes, I know him. Yes, and he's so such a powerhouse. And it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Just look at his page. It's yeah. it's all inspirational. And, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I um, have known his mom for years and I never knew him. I, I don't know him. So we're going to meet oh, okay. actually. Um, okay. then, like we've, you know, kind of connected. Um, and we have Eric Cheek, who's going to be here, who's like Barbara educator extraordinaire. Um, we have Kimberly Coleman, who is actually uh, a female barber um, who is a, works on Capitol Hill. She cut oh, wow. the hair, the congressional, the aides, the Congress people, and all of that. Yeah. So she's a black all artist right. that does mostly mm -hmm. white hair, but she does it all. So yeah. we're going to talk to her about that because there are not that many female um, barbers. Right. And um, am she's I kidding? like, I like a double minority. Like exactly. A, like, a, like, like a triple. 
<laughs> yeah, she's she's got a lot going on. And so I can't wait to, you know, just hear her, her story, her experiences and all of that, because that's going to be phenomenal. And then we have um, Sherrod, um, Sherrod Holloway, and he is actually local here to, to Raleigh. And he has this just wonderful spirit and mission of, I call it grooming and growing men. Um, he teaches beard care and all kinds of care. He's a, a barber educator, a barber, and he's really into helping young men become men. And it's really powerful. It's kind of a ministry, I guess you could say. And so I'm, I'm so looking forward to having him. And he has, you know, product lines and that type of thing that he works yeah. with. Um, but, and he has this fabulous beard that I'm, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. kind of <feel> worthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You all. Yeah. You all. Yeah. So we've got, um, got the next several episodes uh, on tap and we'll be continuing on. It's like, we've got a couple things coming soon for October and November. So um, yeah, that's good stuff, Mickey. That's really good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's like, I think these stories are so powerful and that we have to have to get them out here and, and yeah. with, um, with people, you know, younger people in the industry. And so, you know, any way that anyone can share any of this information, any of these links or anything um, yeah. to anyone aspiring to do any of the things that we're, that we're covering um, it would be great, you know, just to, to spread the word and see this expand. So um, I want to thank you again. I want to thank everyone yes. in here. Um, as I mentioned, I'm with beauty superstars, uh, online Academy. So we have training for you to be able to be a better, more, uh, better business, run a better business with your beauty business. And right now I know it's a little bit challenging. So it's like, I've done some things with um, getting back to basics and which is where all of it starts and um, have an ebook that's available now for like $9 and 99 cents. So it's like, it's uh, at beautysuperstars.com and it's um, building your clientele 101, just really, you know, let's get back to basics. Let's take care of these clients and allow them to take care of us. And especially during this time, it's like people's mm -hmm. income, you know, we were locked down and then coming back mm -hmm. into the salon and some have done better than others, but I definitely want to help guide anyone that I can into being able to create, uh, really generate more than they were mm -hmm. generating mm -hmm. before, because this is the time. Yeah. And we don't definitely your gift. Out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh, well, thank yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. We don't know what's coming. So, no, but um, we got to hold on. Exactly. Exactly. So everyone stay safe, wash your hands, wear your mask. You know. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Mickey. And bye, everyone. Yeah. We'll see everyone next time. Next Tuesday. Bye. at seven. Take good care. Right. Thank you, Michelle. Bye-bye.